The latest headlines. Hard to imagine them not as one of the best teams in history. The insightful interviews. Jerry Greenberg, NBA TV. Virtually all teams in basketball could have played Kevin Durant with the Warriors Tatum. The hottest takes. Go and play for a team talented as Golden State and win a championship. Can all be found on Press Row. Broadcasting as part of the Brew Sports Network. Here's your host. It doesn't matter what your name is. Christian Heimel. The crowd was already in a frenzy when the fighters entered the ring. In all sports, almost always, when there's that kind of buildup, the actual event doesn't equal the hype. Sometimes it doesn't even come close. Could that be what actually happens on August 26th, 2017? Welcome on Press Row, everybody. I'm Christian Heimel. That was an excerpt, by the way, from Al Michaels' biography, You Can't Make This Up. He was talking about April of 1985, when Marvin Hagler and Michael Hearns battled for the middleweight title in a fight that was so hyped up that it almost had to be a letdown. But somehow it didn't. And if you've never seen it, go on YouTube and watch it as Sports Illustrated titled it the, the next week after that, Eight Minutes of Fury. It's one of the more exciting fights that I've ever seen. I never saw it live, but it was one hellacious fight that we may get a chance to witness yet again in a new version of it coming up here in a little bit over a month. Of course, I'm talking about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. There's a lot about this fight that has so many people excited, so many people intrigued, and so many people just wishing it would be over already. Um, We're going to do our best over as we get a little bit closer to talk more about it, talk with some experts on both the boxing and the MMA side, but I just want to briefly mention I'm a huge MMA fan. I'm not a big boxing guy. Um, I don't really know that much about it, but here's what I do know. $100 for a pay-per-view event is ridiculous, and yet there are going to be millions around the world, billions probably, who are going to pay to watch it. And we are already seeing probably the best part about this fight, which is going to be the lead-up to it. If you haven't seen these press conferences yet of Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor going at each other, It really is a sight to behold. I mean, just look at yesterday in Toronto when Connor goes nuts and is actually bringing up the fact that Floyd, for whatever reason, you know, Floyd can't read. He's making jokes about how at 28, Floyd was on Oscar De La Hoya's undercard, while at 28, Connor is not only cashing fighter checks, but he's cashing checks as a fight promoter. He's doing so much already at this young age. And I'm not going to try to get too much into it, but. This is the part that might be the most exciting thing. And this is what I I wish people would just be very conscious of, especially with a price tag of $100 per pay-per-view, which is just absolutely ludicrous to think about. But that's how much money a fight like this could happen. You only see these types of fights in video games and in Hollywood. But somehow you have a super fight between arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter that has ever entered into his sport in Floyd Mayweather, who is undefeated. And a guy who is in the prime of his career, who is the most marketable member of his sport in MMA, in Conor McGregor at only 28. And you finally have these two coming together. The gate is going to be insane. The payday for both of these fighters is going to be nuts. And two guys who are known for 
trash talking. And they're going to get a chance to do that now for close to six weeks before we finally get to Vegas on August 26th. Um, and I, I just wish people would be cautious of being so excited. And we do this a lot in sports. So much do we do it. We hype so many things up that when it finally gets there, it's a dud. It's boring. I mean, just look back at the 2004 World Series. The Red Sox finally with a chance to break the curse. And this Cardinals team that could be so much fun to watch. And, and the Sox go out and sweep and they dominate. Or the Rockies in 2007, this great story. And the Red Sox sweep again. Or the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago when it was the Falcons and the Broncos. Or sorry, the Seahawks and the Broncos. And it's an absolute dud. The fights that and the, the events that get so hyped up are usually the ones that have the biggest disappointment. Meanwhile, Super Bowls like the Patriots and the Giants, where the Patriots were going for their perfect 19 and 0 season, are these huge under or huge uh, favorites. They're expected to blow the Giants out, and you get one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. This past year, nobody was expecting the Falcons. It was supposed to be a Patriots blowout. And then what happens? The Falcons go out to a 28-3 lead at halftime. Yeah, they blow it. But still, it's the things that you least expect that are the most exciting and the things that you hype up so much that generally become duds. I don't fully yet know how this is going to play out. I'm rooting for Conor McGregor. I really am. I also know that Floyd really is probably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, even though I still think... Guys like Ali or Tyson or Joe Lewis, for that matter, or even Marvin Hagler um, and Michael Hearns or Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard. There are so many other guys, but Floyd, you can't you can't knock his record. You can't knock his pedigree. Like I said, we'll touch more on this fight as we get a little bit closer and closer. But I just really want so many people to pump the brakes a little bit. This is the most the circus leading up to it very well could be the most exciting part. So I hope that, number one, you're enjoying this while you don't have to pay for it. And number two, if you do end up paying for the pay-per-view, you at least get your money's worth. But chances are, with a $100 price tag, there is no way in hell you are going to get exactly what you were hoping for. Um, But a lot more actual sports, actual events happening here for us to get to. We'll briefly touch on the MLB All-Star game a little bit later on in the show. Um, I gave you guys my thoughts on that last week. If you want to go and talk about it uh, or go listen to it again, go right on ahead. But we'll touch on all that stuff in just a little bit. We turn our attentions now to the NBA offseason, which continues to make some headlines here throughout the summer. And this is probably the summer league that is the most talked about because you have a character in LeVar Ball who... As much as you may loathe him, you may hate him, despise him, curse him, love him, whatever it is, he brings eyes to it. People will watch a Lakers game, maybe not to see Lonzo Ball play, but maybe to see how his dad reacts in the stands. Um, and yeah, Lonzo had a couple of bad games. He also had a triple-double. Um, but uh, you know, and then you've got a guy in Markel Fultz who everybody's so excited to see because we really haven't seen him at all. Not only did he play for a terrible Washington team, but he was injured for half the year, which didn't help. Um, and then you know, who who knows? And then you have a guy in Jason Tatum who everybody looks at, and who knows what he can be in the NBA? But he's been really, really good here in the summer league. It certainly helps that there's a guy in Jalen Brown who is someone that 
Celtics fans and NBA fans actually recognize a name they recognize to help them with the summer league. Cause usually it's guys trying to get on a roster or rookies getting their first taste of the NBA um, so that fans can really get a chance to see them. But this is a summer league that has been so insanely watched that I don't even know what to think about it because I've never heard about this much coverage from the summer league, but you're getting that now. And I think a lot of it has to do with those top three draft picks in, in Tatum, Ball and Markel Fultz, um, you know, so we'll, we'll touch on this in a little bit with uh, Keith Arizari. He's the co-host of the Chris Mannix show on NBC Sports Radio. Uh, we'll touch on that in just a couple of moments um, with him. But, you know, like I said, this is an insane summer league to think about. This is an insane summer to think about because there's so much more going on in free agency. It feels as though NBA has become that 12 month a year sport. Baseball has got its regular season and playoffs. People rarely talk about the off season, except for those two weeks in December where these big trade deals or big signings actually happen. They don't really care about preseason and spring training in major league baseball football. As soon as training camp starts in late July and August, all the way through until the Super Bowl, people talk about it. And then we don't talk, really talk about it again until the draft. And then with free agency, we kind of talk about it. But it seems like the NBA has become that 12-month-a-year, that year-round sport that everybody talks about. Certainly helps uh, with the fact that you've got a tremendous team on the West Coast, a tremendous team in the Midwest, and then turmoil on teams in the East Coast like the New York Knicks or the Boston Celtics trying to get better. It certainly helps that throughout the country there are storylines within the NBA. Uh, and one of the biggest ones is where will Carmelo Anthony end up? Um, Adrian Wojnarowski for ESPN, he has said on multiple occasions that a Carmelo deal is imminent. Um, what that means and how much longer we have to wait for it, who knows? But it seems as though uh, they want to send him to the Houston Rockets and the Houston Rockets want to get him. Um, there have been talks of three, four team deals. Uh, they want to make something happen, but who knows? And if Carmelo does end up going to Houston, <laughs> can that be a great system with Chris Paul, James Harden, and Carmelo Anthony under Mike D'Antoni, a coach who Carmelo didn't really get along with when he was in New York. You guys all remember exactly what it was like. Um, other than that, what other big names are still out there to be signed? Um, where does Rajon Rondo end up? It, it seems like the Lakers would be a good fit for him, but I also, there's something about the Knicks that makes me in think that Rondo's going to end up there um, because the Knicks are throwing so much money at guys that haven't proved anything. And I'm not saying Rondo is the savior for them, but when your other options are Tim Hardaway Jr., who you just spent $71 million a year or $71 million over four years to, and Ron Baker, who hasn't been relevant since his days at Wichita State, and now a, a rookie point guard from France who nobody knows anything about, Rondo kind of makes sense there. Um, I feel like the Lakers can add some more people, add some better people, but who knows? All we do know is that we are about uh, 10, 11 days into NBA free agency, and the Summer League, like I mentioned, is going in full swing. One of the guys who knows all about all of this is the co-host of the Chris Mannix Show on NBC Sports Radio. He's Keith Irizarry. Keith, thanks a lot for the time. What's up, bro? How you doing? I'm doing great, brother, man. So uh, your early impressions on the Summer League going on in Vegas, I feel like this is one of those years where we seem to be paying more attention nationally to the Summer League than ever before. Oh, the LeVar Ball factor, and I hate having to discuss it, but he made his son Lonzo Ball must-watch. I mean, the fact that there was 
I think it was 11,000 fans in attendance for the first game that Lonzo played in which he shot poorly, uh, and then the second one in which he gets a triple-double. So I think that is a major factor. Um, I also think that um, you get a Markel Fultz going to a Sixers team that is on the rise. People were excited about him. And then the Boston Celtics factor. And I know we'll, if we're going to keep talking about Summer League, I'm, no, I'm sure we'll talk about these guys. But the fact that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are playing on that team, guys that the Celtics realistically didn't want to part with to rent Paul George to maybe win an, an NBA title next year, get, adds more juice there as well. I, I also think that with NBA TV growing – and, you know, getting specialized, having these channels, it, it leads us to, you know, just more ability to watch, you know, social media. We can, you know, follow all these things. Not a lot of people know who Donovan Mitchell is, but you do now after you scored 37 points last night. And now they're like, oh, okay, so maybe the Jazz got somebody. You know, it's interesting to look at those top three draft picks, and I kind of agree with you on the LeVar Ball factor, but another thing is is guys like Jalen Brown, as you mentioned, guys that these fans actually know, these fan bases actually recognize. That Lakers-Celtics matchup, that felt like Game 7, not a Summer League game. Yeah, it did. And, you know, again, it's the, the factor of fans are really coming out for this, and there are some decent names on both of these rosters. I mean, the fact that Brandon Ingram is in uniform for these games, uh, the fact that, again, you get Jalen Brown, you get Jason Tatum, and then you get some borderline guys that are, you know, maybe going to make teams. You look at teams like the Spurs. You know, the Spurs always seem to have one or two guys playing in summer league that next year or the upcoming season are going to help them. You know, this year it might be Bryn Forbes, you know, a player that, the common fan doesn't even know who he is, but then as a guy that can score 30-some-odd points, I think it was 35 points um, in a summer league game, and it piques your interest. So you're right. Can we take too much from summer league? We shouldn't. You know, there have been, you know, the, the joke is that Marco Bellinelli is one of the greatest summer league players of all time and then was just an average NBA player. And, you know, uh, like Nate Robinson was the best summer league player probably of all time. Borderline having his jersey retired is the joke with that, too. And he was a fine NBA player. You're not always going to get superstars out of this. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's definitely it's fun. And with NBA growing more and more and people looking for the next crop of stars that can maybe creep up on the Warriors, it starts with summer league. Take us through the top three guys in the draft so far. Obviously, uh, Markel Fultz uh, rolling his ankle. Lonzo Balls, you mentioned having bad games and having great games, having some good ones in between. And then Jason Tatum, it seems like he's a, a national headline every single night in the summer league. But take us through the top three guys in the draft and what your early impressions have been so far. All right, let's start backwards and go and then go forward. So let's start with Jason Tatum. You look at the kid from Duke and you say he visually – appears to be Carmelo Anthony, about the same size, about the same build, and he's a pure scorer. Guys like that can come in and get buckets. It doesn't matter whether they are playing high school, college, or the NBA. If you can score, you're going to score. There are questions about Tatum's athleticism, and there are questions about his ability to do other things besides score. But realistically, he's going to come in, and if he can give you – 17 minutes a game, 19 minutes a game for Boston once the regular season comes about, 
he's going to get you nine or 10 points per game. And that's going to be perfect for a team that is planning on being in the playoffs again. Uh, Lonzo Ball, the hitch in his shot. I've had this argument with people actually at NBC Sports Radio. Dave Smith's one of the weekend hosts, and he's a diehard Lakers guy. And he keeps telling you, well, Lonzo was able to, you know, very shock all the time uh, in, in college. It's different in the NBA with defenders being able to get their hands up. And Lonzo shoots from his hip. That's going to have to change. With that being said, I don't remember a player that could see the court the way Lonzo does. So for all the annoyances of his father, Lonzo's a good ball player. He's going to have lots of, up, lots of ups and downs, but you got to like his style and the fact that you're pairing him with Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle, guys that can score. And then we'll go to number one, Marco Fultz. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see enough of him in summer league. We probably didn't get to see enough of him in college either with the knee injury that cost him, I think it was the last 15 or 16 games. What we have seen of Fultz, he looks like a, a version of John Wall and Russell Westbrook. And if he can be a hybrid guard like that, that's scary to then pair him up with Ben Simmons, who, oh, yeah, was the number one pick last year and missed the season. He's Keith Rosari, co-host Chris Mannix, show on NBC Sports Radio, talking NBA Summer League. Let's transition over into the free agency or what's left of it. Uh, there are some big names, some names that fans will recognize still out there. Who's the biggest name left, and, and where could they make the biggest splash? Uh, um... You know, no names that are going to alter what we expect in the postseason. You know, Rajon Rondo is still there. And what you saw from him in the first two games of the opening round against the Celtics was a guy that, when he's engaged, is still a top 15 point guard in the NBA, which means it's a starting point guard. And it appears that young players loved him in Chicago. So, you know, him getting a, a conversation and I believe a workout. I'm not sure if there was a workout too with the Lakers over the last 36 hours kind of makes sense. You know, he could maybe be the guy that would be a mentor to Lonzo ball. I mean, I think that makes sense. Derek Rose is still out there on the market. He is a guy that can make a quasi difference in a team. Is he taking you from, you know, a seven or eight seed to a one or a two? No, but he's still a good player. I think the major domino out there is Carmelo Anthony and what happens there. If he's still on the roster with the New York Knicks at the beginning of the NBA season, then somebody else made a mistake and wasn't able to pull off a trade. This rocket rumor, Adrian Wojnarowski, who, you know, most of the time you can pretty much believe what he says, take it as gospel. If he ends up there, if he can you know, rekindle his marriage with Mike D'Antoni because they didn't work in New York, and he's the third option with Chris Paul and James Harden, that becomes a scary trio. I think that's the, that's the major domino that's left right now. So there's a lot that concerns me with that. Number one is how much they didn't get along in New York, D'Antoni and Carmelo. But then number two is, can Carmelo, does he have that mental fortitude to be a third option on a team? If this trade goes through, can it work? So I'll say yes. I mean, I think that him and D'Antoni are at different spots in their careers now. D'Antoni coming off a Coach of the Year award, but then getting shellacked in Game 7 against San Antonio in the postseason, wants to prove, D'Antoni, that he can win in the postseason. And if you're Carmelo Anthony, this isn't 27-year-old Carmelo Anthony that still thinks he's one of the five best players in the NBA. This is 32-, 33-year-old Carmelo Anthony that is dying for a championship. So I think they could put their differences aside. And when we talk about 
player-wise, when has Carmelo Anthony always been at his best? The Olympics, when he's not the best player on the team. All he has to do is focus on scoring. So you give him a, a real point guard in Chris Paul, you give him an MVP guard in James Harden, I think Carmelo on that team can get you 21 to 23 points a game. And as long as he stays healthy, I think that's a scary trio. And I think you're looking at a team that's going to end up being in the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors. He's Keith Irizarry, co-host of the Chris Mannix Show on NBC Sports Radio, joining us here on Press Row. Uh, whenever we talk free agency, we always talk about winners and losers, and there are a lot of potential winners, whether it be the Thunder getting Paul George, the Timberwolves getting Jimmy Butler, the Celtics getting Gordon Hayward, um, the Rockets getting Chris Paul and James Harden, potentially Carmelo Anthony. But there are two teams that I think are, are a little kind of below the radar winners. Um, we already touched on one being the Los Angeles Lakers. They've gotten a lot of great pieces. But then I, I really like the Utah Jazz, even though they lost Gordon Hayward, getting Donovan Mitchell, and now Ricky Rubio. What are your thoughts there with the Jazz here in their summer so far? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't put them in the winning category, the Jazz. I mean, you lose an all-star Gordon Hayward for nothing. You're not a winner. Um, with Ricky Rubio, good, solid NBA point guard, played a lot better towards the end of last season. I think that for the Jazz, it now becomes what – can Alec Burks and Rodney Hood do for this team? If those two guys, or at least one of them, can turn into a quasi-Gordon Hayward, then you're fine. Because you know you still have Rudy Gobert, and he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA, and he's a difference maker. So I would have the Jazz on my losing end. I, you, lose an, you lose an all-star for nothing, they're on my losing end. The Pacers are quite possibly the biggest loser of this offseason season. Victor Oladipo is a nice player getting paid way too much money. DeMontis, uh, Sabonis, we have no idea what he is. And if we are to believe some of the reports that there were bigger offers for Paul George, like the Rockets had reportedly offered multiple draft picks, like the Celtics were at least considering multiple draft picks, and the Pacers are your big loser. I want to touch a little bit more on the Knicks because they seem to be this enigma. And Stefan Florival, Black Sports Online last week, who I know you know really well, he said that the Knicks, Mr. Magooed them themselves into a great summer, not trading away draft picks and now departing with Phil Jackson. What are the Knicks able to do the rest of this summer that gets the fan base really caring again more than they already do? I mean, I think they're, I think they're losing fans right now. I think Tim Hardaway Jr., four years, $71 million is ludicrous paying the guy $17.75 million a season. And you're talking about you already have Courtney Lee. Then you pay Ron, Ron Baker $9 million for two years. So you're going to spend $80 million on two shooting guards that you're not even sure either of them can be a starter on your team. And neither of them would be starters on playoff teams. So right off the bat, I think that's a big loser thing. Dumping Phil Jackson, sure, that's good. I, I don't know what the payout was, so I don't know how that affects the, the organization. For the Knicks, it's all about Porzingis, the growth of him, and it's about Neil Aquina. Is he an actual NBA point guard? If they hit on him and Porzingis continues to grow, and let's say Melo stays, then you've got a little mini trio there to build around. You get rid of Melo in two years, and you hope that you get more from there. Um, this whole debacle of how they're handling hiring a team president has been embarrassing. 
the fact that they can't get David Griffin in there, the fact that they can't get Masai Ujiri in there, the fact that they can't get whomever in there, and they're going to end up with Steve Mills. If I'm a diehard Knicks fan, which, by the way, I grew up a Knicks fan, I am disgruntled, I am disappointed, and I am sitting here saying, I'm not so sure I want to watch this team anymore. A lot of people saw Paul George as a one-year rental, and I've said this a couple times on the show, you're only going after Paul George and getting him if you're one of two teams. You're either A, a team that can win it all next year with him, or B, you're a team that thinks they can re-sign him long-term. Oklahoma City seems like the team that has both. What were your thoughts on what he said about potentially bolting to L.A. after this year in Oklahoma City? So I like what Paul George had to say, how he's, you know, people say he's going to L.A. And his response is, that's overblown. I'd be stupid to leave Oklahoma City if we can get to a conference championship. I don't think he handled Indiana well. And I think that the way he should have handled that was to speak privately and not allow this to become a common, uh, a common knowledge thing that he was going to leave the Pacers after the season. Is it nice for him to tell the organization? Sure. But ties their hands and teams aren't going to offer as much as they probably would have offered for Paul George. Go to Oklahoma City, pair you up with Russell Westbrook, an L.A. guy, pair you up with you know, Stephen Adams, good, solid NBA center. See what happens. They are, you know, they're a weird team because they're going to have to pay Westbrook, which they're going to be able to, and then they're going to have to pay a lot of money for Paul George to try to keep him there. But if you believe Kevin Durant talking to Paul George saying that it's a great place to be, then you never know. The the wild card here, though, obviously it's the, it's the Lakers for Paul George. And I think if you're Paul, if Brandon Ingram and Lon, if Brandon Ingram takes a step forward and becomes, you know, a borderline all-star talent this year, and Lonzo Ball is an NBA point guard, then Paul George, you look at that team, you go, hell yeah, let me let me go play in LA, where you know I grew up not that far from there, and let me go join this duo. I'll be the star, and then when I start aging, I've got stars waiting for me. So it's an enticing situation for Paul George, but I, I do like how he handled the situation right now with OKC. He's Keith Irizarry, co-host of the Chris Mannix Show on NBC Sports Radio. One final question before I let you go. seemed as though the NBA offseason had just one question to answer, and that is can anybody knock off the Warriors or the Cavaliers in their respective conferences? Still some time left to go here this summer before the regular season, but has anybody done enough to beat one of those two teams? No. I mean, barring major injuries from both of those teams, I think we're seeing them meet in the NBA Finals for a fourth consecutive year. I think the Celtics are too afraid to go all in right now. And we all want to call Danny Ainge a genius, but Danny Ainge has not drafted an NBA All-Star in whatever it is. It's like 15 years. So he's done a good job with trades. Obviously got one NBA championship there, making the you know Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett triumvirate. Uh, with that being said, I would if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm not a president or a general manager, but I would have been willing to rent Paul George for a season or to do what I could have done to get Jimmy Butler and that with Gordon Hayward and with Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford and then some of those bench guys that's a team that could have beaten Cleveland. The way the Celtics are built right now, they're better, but I still don't think they beat Cleveland. And on the Golden State side of things, I think they got better than last year. They brought everyone back. 
They filled some roles with some, some role players that they needed. And this kid, Jordan Bell from Oregon, is looking like a, a mini version of Draymond Green. He could end up being a second-round steal also. So Golden State is here for the, here for the long haul. They're, they're a team that's going to be in the finals for the next two, three years. How scary is that? The rich keep getting richer there in Golden State. Keith, I appreciate the time, my man. Thanks so much. And uh, I know we'll be talking to you a little bit later in the year as we get a little bit closer to football season with some fantasy football knowledge from you. You're the man. I, I look forward to it. Have a good one, bro. That's Keith Irizarry, co-host of the Chris Mannix Show on NBC Sports Radio. Great stuff from him. You know, he had some really good insight on the Knicks. Um, you know, I mean, he, he grew up in that area. He knows the Knicks, uh, does his shows from New York with Mannix, and um, he, he's got his heartbeat, his, his, I should say, fingers right on the pulse of what's going on there. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see. He, he's not wrong. I mean, Carmelo has always been at his greatest, and Knicks fans have always wondered why he couldn't be this great or as great as he is in the Olympics. And so maybe with him being that third option, if he can sit there and mentally kind of go, all right, you know what, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I need to figure out how to win a championship. If the Knicks and the Rockets can pull this thing off with a couple of other teams involved, then uh, hopefully, you know, that works out for him. I mean, who, who knows? It. I'd love to see Carmelo do great. Um, I'd love to see it be with the Knicks. Um, this, I'm not a Knicks fan by any stretch of the imagination, but... Uh, that arena and that city is a basketball city. And I think as much as they are a Yankees town um, or a baseball town during when the Yankees or the Mets are good, they are truly there with their Knicks. Uh, So we'll see what happens with all of that. There's still a lot more NBA free agency to be discussed. Um, I don't know if I really agree with him much um, on if anybody has done enough. I mean, yes, the Warriors have certainly gotten richer. I do think that the Celtics have gotten better to be able to compete with the Cavaliers. I don't know if they've done enough to actually beat them in the playoffs, but I don't know if the Cavaliers have done anything. What did they, they, they agreed to their second round pick. They, they got their guy, they signed him to a deal, but what have the Cavs actually done in this offseason to make them better? If the Cavs aren't getting better to beat the Warriors, but everybody else around them is getting better. I can't fully believe that they want, you know, and that, that the Cavs are the best team in the East. I, I do personally feel that the Celtics have taken a step above. Yes, they still have the best player in the world and arguably the best player ever in LeBron James. But I don't know if they've done enough to get better than a team that basically was the victim of a gentleman sweep in the NBA Finals. I really don't know if they've done that. And I don't think they have. So, the Warriors are still the best team in the West and still the team to beat in the West by a long shot, even if the Rockets do end up with Carmelo Anthony. But I don't think Russell Westbrook and Paul George are enough. I don't think the Spurs are enough. I don't think Chris Paul and James Harden are enough. There's nobody in the West that is going to challenge the Warriors. Someone may get lucky. Some injuries may happen, but I don't think there's anybody challenging the Warriors. I do think the Celtics have gotten better to the point where they could beat the Cavaliers in a seven game series. Um, I think Gordon Hayward is a third option. Isaiah Thomas is their point guard. Jason Tatum, if he can come in and be a rebounder and a great defensive player as well, I think they've done enough there. They've still got some more to do, but I think they're going to be just fine. And I think they do have the, whether they actually go out and beat the Cavaliers in the playoffs next year, who knows? That's still a lot to be seen, but that's just what I'm, you know, personally feel. I feel like the Cavaliers haven't done anything and you don't get better by not doing anything. That's the scary part. So 
couple of other news and notes here before we touch on uh, the MLB All-Star game. Uh, the NBA made a, a decision. They're going to take away uh, timeouts, or uh, some of the timeouts in the final couple minutes of a game, which is phenomenal. Uh, we are in an era where... Our attention spans don't go anywhere, which is why I think I'm surprised so many people are still listening to this now nearly 40 minutes in. But it's uh, people complain about the length of baseball. They complain that there are too many commercials in football, which extend the games. And the last two minutes of a game in the NBA just drag on like crazy. They are now getting just two timeouts per team in the final two minutes of a game. And they drop the amount of timeouts per game from 18 to 14. This was approved on Wednesday. Great moves. The games have gone down a little bit in terms of length, but they could always go down more. And those timeouts late in the game sometimes are very meaningless, especially when it's a timeout taken right after a timeout or right after a free throw when you've got a, a lull in the action anyway. It takes away the rhythm. It takes away the excitement. It takes away the atmosphere of a game. So I am all for decreasing timeouts because it puts a lot of onus on the coaches and the players on how and when to actually use them. I'm excited for it. I think it's a great, great move for them. Um, not sure if you guys saw this yesterday either, but Richard Sherman made a pretty uh, interesting comment. Um, he said, if NFL players want bigger deals, they have to be willing to go on strike. I don't know if you would ever see that again. Um, there was such an issue uh, when there was a fear of no football uh, a couple of years back. But every single year, NBA free agents get an insane amount of money in terms of guaranteed contracts. Um, I think the number I saw uh, reported um, yesterday that NBA free agents had nearly $1 billion in total contract money during the first 24 hours of their free agency. That's that's insane, uh, especially when there are so many guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. getting paid so much more than they absolutely deserve. So the question, especially with how much physical um, – battles those guys in football go through and how much they struggle late in the game health wise. But uh, it's, it's tough as, and, but again, these were the contra the CBAs that were negotiated in the NBA and the NFL. So uh, I don't know if a strike is the right thing to do. Maybe a bit of different negotiations are better. Um, but the other part is, is the growth of the NFL hasn't been in, at least in this day and age, similar to the growth of the NBA. The NBA has gone up tremendously in terms of uh, television deals, in terms of revenue, and the NFL, while it continues to be the juggernaut that it is, it isn't driven by regional TV deals. Imagine if you had regional TV deals for the Seattle Seahawks, the Minnesota Vikings, the New York Giants, the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, and then you also had those national games. But when the entire league plays on the same day and that's it, it's tough to do that. In the NBA, it's an 82-game schedule, and you've got games on different nights, teams playing different days. It's a lot easier for the NBA to make that kind of money. So I don't know how much Richard Sherman is going to plan on striking the next time the CBA comes up for negotiation, but I also don't think there's really much for them to negotiate because unless you're going to play seven days a week in the NFL, which you're not going to do, you're not going to have the opportunity to make as much money. It doesn't really make sense. So just, I, I don't, I don't get it, but 
that's Richard Sherman. He's been a very good person in terms of getting his name out there, getting his thoughts out there. But, oh well. You know, we'll see what happens. Again, you're playing, the whole league is playing on the same day, and you don't have a regional TV deal. If you had those, maybe you would be making more money. But you don't have much of a bargaining chip there because what player, what NFL player is going to want to play three or four days a week and not get shown on national TV? Yes, I know you have regional games, but what I'm saying is you don't have like a Nesson for the New England Patriots. They're playing on Fox, CBS, or ABC or NBC, depending on when their game is. You don't have a Fox Sports Tennessee for the Titans. They're playing on CBS or Fox or NBC or ESPN. That's it. And it's maybe a regional game, but they're playing on a national syndicate. They're not playing on a regional team, a regional broadcast entity. That's what I mean by that. And that's that's where they have the issues. That's where it struggles. So final thing I want to touch on here today is uh, I made uh, some waves last week saying about the MLB All-Star Week, how it's the worst week ever. I'm so excited for baseball to be back tonight. Uh, actual games being played. I, I honestly truly did not watch a single second of the All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby. But from what I understand, the Home Run Derby had ratings through the roof. And I think a lot of that had to do with Aaron Judge, the rookie, because we haven't seen him before. We haven't seen a guy at six foot seven, two eighty, hit thirty home runs in the first half of the all-star break. We want to see John Carlos Sant hit absolute mammos. He didn't, you know? Um, but the viewership was up fifty five percent from last year on the all star on the home run derby. So that's great for baseball. That's great for the home run derby. It's great for those players. I love it. But again, you had just four of the top eight hitters or eight home run hitters actually competing. You ended up getting what you should have gotten, which was the home run leader winning the home run derby. But, you know, remember, if you remember the 99 home run derby, you had guys you wanted to see. You wanted to see Griffey. You wanted to see Maguire, Sosa, those guys, Bagwell hitting homers. You got that. You don't get that this year. You're not getting to see, you know, the Manny Machados, the Chris Davises, the um, Joey Gallows, Mike Trouts, Bryce Harper's. You're not seeing those Albert Pujols. You're not seeing those guys anymore because they don't want to do it. So that to me is where the fun comes out of it. They aren't the guys that I want to see. Yeah, you want to see Aaron Judge and John Carlos Tan. Those are probably the only two guys that were actually in the eight that you would have thought you wanted to see. But, you know, good for Major League Baseball. I'm happy that it happened. The All-Star game, even though it doesn't mean anything other than the fact that the players get a $20,000 bonus if they win, if they lose, they get nothing. I think that brings a little bit of enticement to the players I don't know what it does for the fans but I'm glad that it went extras I'm glad that people were engaged I'm glad that it was a good game but again didn't watch a single second of it not upset that I missed all of it so just my thoughts want to thank Keith Rosari for coming on the show today as always if you guys would like to get in touch with the show you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Heimel ask me any questions you guys would like if you would like to get in touch with us on Bruce Sports. You can follow us at Bruce Sportsnet on Twitter. Also, don't forget to follow Bruce Sportsnet on Facebook and Big Play Network on Facebook as well. Until then, I look forward to seeing you guys next week on Press Row.